Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. If you look back on the presidential State of the Union addresses, down through the many decades, you will find, of course, some (laughs) consistent themes. One thing that you will find with the State of the Union addresses and the other presidential addresses, as well as the typical presidential stump speeches, would be this, a very strong preference for flowing rhetoric that has nothing to do with reality or truth, but instead is intended to impress the people and to stimulate strong, favorable reaction. In the State of the Union address most recent, back on February 4th, in the great capital of the great United States of America, right, in Washington, D.C., abominable Washington, D.C., Is all of Washington, D.C. abominable? Well, no. But certainly, it is plagued with serious inner-city crime. And also, it is plagued by the most extreme white-collar crime in the country, other than that in New York City, And that is white-collar crime by congressmen, by senators, by presidents, and so forth, by presidential administrations, and what have you. But in that address by the incumbent president, Donald Trump Sr., one small portion I'm going to quote, he said... I am thrilled to report to you tonight that our economy is the best it has ever been. Our military is completely rebuilt with its power being unmatched anywhere in the world, and it's not even close. Our borders are secure. Our families are flourishing. Our values are renewed. Our pride is restored. And for all of these reasons, I say to the people of our great country and to the members of Congress, the state of our union is stronger than ever before. Fabulous rhetoric, don't you think? Our Our, 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 our. No, not H-O-U-R, but O-U-R, our. We're all in this together. We're all the same. We're all united. We are one and the same. We are homogeneous. We are Americans. Brilliant stuff. 
Now, if you can get past this matter of the U.S. military being unmatched anywhere in the world, if you can get past that and it not even being close, if you can get past the U.S. borders being secure, if you can overlook that for a moment, and all of these other fictitious statements, our values, because we all have the same values after all, homogeneous, unanimity of values. But if you can get past that and get past the statement that the state of the Union of the United States of America is stronger than ever before. You know, prior to uh, the recognition of the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic, and so forth. If you can overlook all of those things and just focus for one moment on this matter of our, 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 you and I, we are all the same. All of us are the same. We all have the same values, the same beliefs, the same convictions. It is a horrendous fiction. But what it is reminiscent of to me, perhaps not to you, but to me, it is reminiscent, and I do not mean to blame the president for this. <laughs> Not this president, because this is true of every president. This is true of every presidential contender of the major parties. So I am not linking this to Donald Trump, per se. But what this is reminiscent of, this hour, 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 we're all the same, we're all together, this is incredibly reminiscent of many, many, many addresses made by Adolf Hitler in which he emphasized overpoweringly that Nazi Germany was one people, or if you will, one people united, one empire, one right, one empire, and had one leader, Adolf Hitler. This was an extremely dominant theme of Hitler's, in which he did not focus on the Nazi party, on the Nazi Third Reich, on all of his very powerful henchmen, whom he promoted to great power and gave them free reign to engage in committing monstrous reign of terror that was all his idea and his orchestration. But this matter that Germany, Nazi Germany, was one people united. One empire renewed, restored, regenerated, and in fact created 
because it had never been before. Contrary to what he insisted that there had been this great German empire for 2,000 years. And it had not existed. But, and then one leader. One for all. All for one. You find the same kind of theme and emphasis in every communist regime. But also in the Islamist regimes, every totalitarian regime, whether it be fascist or communist or Islamist, same theme. But interestingly enough, same theme in the democratic, free, Western nations of former Christendom. That should be troubling to us. That should be troubling to us. Instead of it being so popular, it should be deeply unsettling and troubling. Sometime back, not that long ago, I'm not sure how long it's been, I came across an article which posed a question. And that was, how many people and which people in any given nation or country would refuse to conform to an oppressive, autocratic, dictatorial regime? How many people would resist that and oppose that violently, right? Take up arms to oppose a terrible, evil, violent, autocratic, dictatorial regime. And they had their various reasoning on this as far as with regard to their conclusions, their learned conclusions. But before I address that, Let me point out, going back again to Hitler's regime, and this is true of Stalin's regime. Preceded by Lenin's regime, Mao Zedong's regime, the regime of all of the Kims, grandpappy and pappy and son and, of course, sister, (laughs) daughter, But what you will find in all of these places is that those that have been monstrously slaughtered, those that have been monstrously destroyed, have not been people that have taken up arms to oppose the evil regime. 
They have been people that have been targeted for destruction because of their faith in God Almighty. Christians and also Jews, and the great irony is that so very many of those Jews not only, of course, had no faith in God the Son, in the Christ, but so very many of them did not have any such faith in God Almighty either. A great irony, but nonetheless, a vast, vast multitude of these targeted for destruction were targeted for destruction because of their faith in God or their faith in Christ, God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, if not in God (laughs) as Jews. But a great many others who were targeted for destruction and or who even though not targeted explicitly were then rounded up and destroyed, were those who did not embrace the evil regime, who did not enthusiastically get behind the regime, who did not willingly, jubilantly, joyfully join in. In Nazi Germany, those people who did not join in the persecution of the Jews were destroyed. Not just those who insisted on showing some semblance of neighborliness in still frequenting the Jewish businesses, frequenting jewelry stores. Newspaper offices, bookstores, restaurants, and other places of business owned and operated by Jews. Or who simply extended something in the way of neighborliness or friendship or what have you towards Jewish families. Or who would attempt to keep Jews from being rounded up and destroyed or beaten to death in the streets and so forth. Now, in the communist and fascist regimes, which have always been brought to power with the acquiescence of the assistance of leftists, socialists, 
not communists. They haven't helped the fascists get into power, but of course they have brought the communist regimes into existence. But where the fascist regimes have come into power and have managed to overpower the communists that were vying for such power, nonetheless socialists, leftist Democrat politicians have assisted them, directly and indirectly, by commission and by omission, by directly assisting them and or refusing to resist them and oppose them and stop them and do whatever was necessary to prevent them taking over. But this matter of who shall oppose these autocratic regimes, who shall refuse to conform, who shall stand up to the bully states, the military states, it's somewhat of a false question because it denies the reality of these states going to war against the citizenry. Openly and clandestinely. But nonetheless, while there are people of some degree of decency, people with some degree of conscience who nonetheless are not people of faith. And this applies to a great many Jews, disgracefully enough, that are not of faith. Them being of conscience and of some degree of decency, that's not shameful. But for Jews not to believe in God is shameful. It's like people here in the United States of America and other parts of the free world, so-called, who were raised in Christian homes and end up becoming Muslims. It's disgraceful and shameful, but Who shall oppose? What people shall oppose these terrible despotic regimes? They will be people of courage. And that eliminates almost all of the leftist Democrats. When I'm saying Democrats, I don't mean Democrat Party. I'm speaking of the people in the democratic countries. It eliminates almost all of them. Those who are of courage, that is an extreme minority. Now, there are a great many bullies among them, but those who are of courage, 
courage to endanger their lives to oppose an seemingly all-powerful regime, those people are few and far between. But to simply passively, peacefully resist, refuse, in the case of Nazi Germany, refuse to salute the Fuhrer and all of his henchmen. That was a death sentence. To refuse to do that. And the other things that were demanded of them, such as of the school children. Overwhelmingly, that required faith in God. Why on earth should people who do not worship God, who are not concerned with obeying God, who are not concerned with little matters of rejecting God, of refusing God, of resisting God, why should they endanger themselves by refusing to do something that is comparatively trivial, except in God's sight, to worship the evil ones when there is a death sentence attached to failing to do so. Why should they endanger themselves that way? Why should they jeopardize themselves that way? Well, (laughs) the short answer is the overwhelming majority of people don't and won't. Out of fear, out of terror, out of dread of the consequences for themselves and their families and loved ones. But... Again, this is not talking about armed revolt, armed rebellion. Even though that was called for and that should have been engaged in early, early, early on. And Hitler and his gang should have been taken down early on. But the leadership, the political leadership was worthless including Hindenburg, worthless. And they refused to, they failed to stop Hitler. And he sure as shooting could have been stopped. Positively. But he's just one case in point. Lenin, Stalin. Mao Zedong, the Kims, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, and the list goes on and on and on. Fidel Castro, and so forth. But, 
those who shall resist. Overwhelmingly are people of faith in Christ, not people of so-called faith. In Hinduism, Hindu gods, 300 plus million Hindu gods, or Zen Buddhism, Confucianists, Buddhists, Taoists, Jainists, those of this cult and that cult, and followers of this guru and that guru, and Muslims, Islam, no. The coming regime, the regime that is coming. God's word attests it is coming. And it will be the most terrible regime that has ever darkened the face of this earth. More on that in a minute. But before I continue, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, unworthy, that is due to me. That is on me. That is my fault. So what is coming? Again, the worst, the most terrible, monstrous regime there has ever been. And it shall be a world-encompassing regime. Enjoying hegemony, worldwide enslavement, worldwide domination. It shall cover and encircle, surround the entire earth. Overthrow, gobble up, swallow every nation, every country, every continent. With the exception of one, and that exception is not the United States of America. That exception is tiny, tiny Israel, the modern state of Israel. It is utterly impossible to imagine that, to really imagine that. How can that be? How many people insist on believing that the only reason that Israel, the modern state of Israel, exists is because of the United States of America. Fascinatingly enough, if the highest and mightiest leaders of the United States of America and Great Britain had had their way, 
the modern state of Israel would have lasted for less than a week. Less than a week. Harry, the buck stops here, Truman. And his Secretary of State, high and mighty General George Marshall, famed for the Marshall Plan, this great commanding general, now civilian Secretary of State during the Truman administration. They did everything in their power to ensure that Israel would be destroyed and the people would be annihilated. So too the British government of the British Prime Minister the ruling liberal party in Great Britain that was brought into power weeks, mere weeks, after the end of the war in Europe. Winston Churchill was shown the door, so to speak. And they took over. And they did their utmost to ensure that there would never be a modern state of Israel. And once that became a reality, it would be destroyed immediately. That if it should become a reality. And even though they did everything they could to prevent it becoming a reality, they did all of the work that would ensure that it would not survive if it did manage to become a reality. The United Nations, such a terrible organization, truly has been dedicated to creating a worldwide regime. But ironically, incredibly ironically, was responsible for the modern state of Israel being created. But that was a political ploy. What do I mean by that? Just this. Regimes that voted for Israel to become a nation, so to speak, that voted for the Palestinian partition plan, which was immediately followed by Israeli statehood. They intended that this post-World War II concentration of Jews should be attacked and destroyed by a vast coalition 
a vast multitude of Islamist regimes which were armed to the teeth with state-of-the-arm weapon systems by the likes of Great Britain. But the survival of Israel from its inception was an absolute miracle of God. And it should have resulted in every person in Israel regardless what they were prior to that time, believing in God, believing in the Word of God. But no, no. So today, the modern state of Israel is a socialist, agnostic, atheist, whatever mess. And despite that, it will be the last nation standing against the worldwide regime. That is an absolute, utter impossibility, but it is guaranteed by God's word. So, (laughs) surely it won't happen. Except God says it will. God stated it would. God wrote through his chosen men that it would be so. And I trust God's word. Not the scribblings of the likes of Muhammad, who has all of his self-fulfilling prophecies and what have you. But what is coming is that regime and preceding that regime, that worldwide regime that shall take over the entire earth and then ultimately overthrow Israel, the last free nation standing on the face of the earth. What shall precede that, predate that regime taking over, as I've mentioned before, is the rise of ten leaders. They shall come in together, ten world leaders, like a graduating class. They shall be swept into power. That's right, swept into power. It's not a matter of them taking over. They shall be swept into power. Really great leaders like that former king of Great Britain, Edward. Edward VIII. Just an abomination was he. In every respect. Not just his fondness for seducing married women, committing adultery with myriad married women under their husbands' noses. While he was the most eligible man on the face of the earth. That was how he amused himself. Everywhere he went in the great British Empire. But then, of course, he teamed up with a woman who was not officially divorced yet from her second husband. And they were really a match. Not made in heaven, mind you, but a match. (laughs) 
and impossibly, even though he was known to be such a terrible, terrible security risk. He had proven it time and again. Nonetheless, with Britain entering World War II because of his high and mighty position. This is after he had abdicated, mind you. After he had abdicated supposedly for love. And I do emphasize on supposedly. He was made a major general by the British, by George, by King George. He conferred this upon him. He allowed this, insisted that this honor be given him. And he was privy to all manner of secrets and he managed to cause great harm and loss of life to the British people and the French. What a great man. But he also committed crimes, financial crimes, currency trading crimes, that others were sent to prison for long sentences for. You could say he enjoyed diplomatic immunity or something, you know, monarchical <laughs> immunity. But 10 world leaders shall appear, shall be swept into power. Wicked, worse than worthless leaders. Like the former King Edward. And the abdicated King Edward. Now, whether they shall be kings, whether they shall be swept into power as monarchs in nations that have constitutional monarchies, or whether they shall create monarchies for these, or whether they shall instead be presidents, premiers, prime ministers, I don't know. The word of God certainly indicates that they shall be kings. But no matter, they shall rise to power in mass as a group. They'll group all this gang of ten. Ten individual leaders or kings shall rise together like a graduating class. Like a graduating class of a secret society rising up from the Ivy League schools, the preeminent universities of the United States of America, of England, and elsewhere. But then one Leaders shall rise after them. And he will be qualitatively different from them. And vastly more powerful. He shall either subdue three of the ten, or overthrow three of the ten, or do away with three of the ten. But in any case... All of the remaining ones shall submit 
to him. They shall give their kingdoms or their countries, their nations, their militaries to him, to serve him. But he's not going to come in forcefully, violently. No, he's going to come in peacefully, promising peace, like Adolf Hitler did. That's right. Adolf, the great peacemaker. He shall come in promising peace, peace. And of course, establishing this vast coalition to bring peace and prosperity to the world, to the peoples of the world. It's for the people, it's for the women, it's for the blacks, it's for the children. And so forth. And once he has power, worldwide power, instead of solving all the problems, which the multitudes have submitted to their kings, their leaders, who have submitted to him in order for him to bring them peace and prosperity and freedom from all of these myriad problems that are so troubling and so unsolvable for any individual nation. Instead of solving them, he shall bring about a one-world police state. And all who oppose him will die. And all peoples will worship him. And most extraordinary of all is this. That while the ten leaders presumably are grown men at this time but grew up from, you know, the usual way. From being conceived and carried to birth and then born and raised growing through babyhood, toddlerhood, infancy, childhood, youth, and on to young adulthood and then adulthood, this particular leader of the leaders, he's not going to have the same way of arriving. He's going to arrive as a grown adult. That's my take on it. Now, everybody and their brother can disagree, but the word in that archaic, arcane, holy Bible indicates exactly that. He has existed previously, seemingly, 
and shall rise not as a baby, (laughs) and then on through the times of life, but instead as a leader, and such a leader. But regardless whether that is accurate, and I believe it is, or I wouldn't be stating it, still, what is absolutely unshakably true is that he shall rule the entire earth and cause that all people shall submit to him and worship him. And those who refuse, not those who take up arms, not those who stage armed rebellion against the massive one-world regime, one-world army, but those who peacefully, passively refuse to worship him and accept, receive the mark, the name, the number of this leader known as the beast. Refuse to take that mark, that name, that number in their right hand or in their forehead they shall be put to death. Now, how many Muslims do you think are going to refuse? Yeah, just just a ballpark. How many do you think will refuse? (laughs) How many people of conscience will refuse? How many Jews will refuse? How many Christians will refuse? Oh, brother, There won't be any Christians. They're all going to be raptured away. (laughs) Well, uh, that is what's known as wishful thinking. But how many people will refuse to worship this leader of this regime that shall cover the earth? It's going to be an extreme minority. And they will do so out of faith in God, faith in Christ. And there is no other reason sufficiently compelling to cause them to do this, to lose their lives. Going back in time, back to the good old days of World War II. (laughs) Interestingly enough, in Denmark, the Jewish population, it was really a very small number of people in Denmark that were Jews. Very small. Seven and a half thousand, approximately. But of that 7,500, after the Nazis took over, more than 7,000 escaped. This is during World War II. And when they were supposed to be being rounded up, more than 7,000 escaped to Sweden. How did that happen? How did that miracle happen? Well, 
Interestingly enough, it was courtesy of the head Nazi alerting them that they needed to flee for their lives. The Nazis did not bring them to safety. That did not happen, but he warned them. He could not do so officially, but he did so unofficially. And word spread like wildfire. Who was this man? Was he a man of faith in God and Christ? Was he a man of conscience? Well, he was a man that was known as the Butcher of Paris. The Butcher of Paris. He was a member of Adolf Hitler's innermost circle. He was the deputy head of the SS. And yet, he was motivated to do this because... He was convinced, apparently, that if instead he had gone all out to collect the Jews, there would be an uprising, and there would be strikes throughout Denmark, and this would prevent him from succeeding. And so he did the right thing. He did the right thing for the wrong reasons, but he did the right thing. As I've mentioned before in my pronunciation, I apologize in advance. In France, in one small town, the name, I believe, is something like this, Le Chambol sur le Nord. Thousands of Jews were saved from being deported and murdered. They were saved by the overwhelmingly Christian population in this small town, this isolated town in central France. People of faith. I mentioned before poorly, but I mentioned before this beautiful, talented Ukrainian woman, Jamala. Now, Jamala is what she goes by. That is not (laughs) her name. Her real name is Susanna Jamaladnova, or Jamaladnova, something like that. She is a Crimean Tatar, or Tatar, or Tatar however you prefer. But a beautiful, talented young woman. And she insisted on singing this song 1944 at the Eurovision singing contest four years ago now. And impossibly, she won. There were rules that prevented anyone from being able to sing anything that had any connection with politics. Anything that would be critical. 
anything that would include lyrics, speeches, gestures of a political or similar nature. But she refused to submit to that and was honored with victory, which went round the world. Albert Einstein, that brilliant man, who despite all of his brilliance, he determined the word of God is for me nothing but the expression and product of human weaknesses. The Bible, a collection of venerable but still rather primitive legends, no interpretation, no matter how subtle, can for me change anything about this. Not exactly a man of faith. And faith in God and Christ is what is required at this time and in time to come. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.